0: Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for the week ending August 30. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, you will hear a huge amount of stuff this week, in fact. it was a big week. It was a huge week, massive. Uh, It started off uh, with a visit from Ty Snape talking about her new book, You Might Find Yourself. We also uh, had Dave Lawson back in the studio to talk about Utopia, the new season. It's out now.
1: Uh, We also had a bit of a chat about um, Jeopardy and – why And we ended up playing it. How did we end up playing it? Listen to find out. <laughs> uh, and also a uh, huge guest. We had Fred Armisen at um, Saturday Night Live fame amongst very, various other things came in for a chat.
2: Uh, by popular demand, there was the segment Dinner Review, where we reviewed dinners uh, that we've had. Chicken. Chicken is what we ate okay, everyone? Uh, we spoke to American civil rights activists and host of the podcast Pod Save the People, Duray McKesson, and we also chatted to Paul Kelly. Oh, what a dream. Triple. Ah. A fortnightly segment presenter on Smart Arts, Ty Snaith is an author, curator, master of collage and mixed media, whose 30-metre wall of books for the State Library was this year shortlisted for the World Illustration Awards. She's set to appear at multiple events during Melbourne Writers' Festival and has just released her fifth book, You Might Find Yourself, that she's written and illustrated. Ty, welcome back to Breakfasters. Oh, thanks, guys. You guys do your research, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) So refreshing. (laughs) Um, can 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 you describe this gorgeous book for us? and tell us that, how you put it together. Well, it's a funny one. I
3: make my pictures out of sort of unusual materials, so cut paper that I sort of paint and then smashed up bits of ceramic and sometimes built clay things on top and then I photograph them. So the pictures look very 3D and mm. often when little kids read them, they grab at the page, which I think is really cute. Yeah. I, not even little kids. I did that <laughs> reading it. like I was scratching at it. Yeah, so they're very three-dimensional and I find that that type of image gets some real into it, which is so nice to see with kids just getting inspired by a picture, mm. you know, regardless of the text. But the text is good too. Um, it's it's inspired by the Talking Heads song, you know, um, Once in a Lifetime. So I've always loved that song, You Might Find Yourself, you know, in a Beautiful House with a Beautiful Wife or whatever. And then um, just thinking about how you could translate that sort of to that idea to a kid's audience. Yeah. So the, the character finds themselves in all these different situations and then the only constant through the book is the path and so that becomes an analogy for life. Yeah. Well, what, yeah. what do you do with the originals? That's a good question. I um I burn them. No, I don't <laughs> feel I'm like burning them. No, I frame them. And well, I actually choose eleven from each book to frame. And then they often tour around. They're in shop windows at the moment, so they've oh. just been in readings. At the moment, there's two in Hill of Content on um, Burke Street. Uh, they go out to all these different bookshops, and sometimes they go in exhibitions. And I found that framing them is a good practice because then they don't get trashed. So.
0: Your, mm, yeah. your last book we are just talking about it was – what's the title of it again? Slow Down World. Slow Down World. And yeah. I feel like both of these books are kind of – like advice books for little kids. <laughs> it's like self-help Yeah, it's yeah. like self-help book, for, but for toddlers and kids. But I was saying to you off air that I gave your last book to my nephew and he responded really well to it. Have you got much feedback from parents about how kids do respond to the, the self-help
3: <laughs> Yeah, well, I find that it's a combination of parents responding to it as well. Yeah. So the last book a lot of parents were like, thank you, thank you, I'm allowed to slow down, you know. So that was good for the mums particularly being, trying to be super mums um, or super women really. Yeah. Um, Um, But this one I've found a lot of response from kids just getting inspired, which is so nice just to be able to inspire kids. So i found with reading this one I look up at the crowd and they all just all have their mouths open. Which is so cool. And then at the end, they all want to tell me something like, Did you know that I, you know, like my dad's name is Jack or whatever? whatever. There's just something they've got to connect with me. And so, a lot of kids telling me about the book that they're writing. And I mean, kids are pretty amazing now. They've all got their, you know, their
2: business plan, they've got an ABN. (laughs) That's depressing. (laughs) Do you have have any tips on reading to kids?
3: Um, Yeah, I do actually from doing it a million times now. I would say the best thing is to ask questions. So to read the text if you want, like sometimes even if you don't like the text in a book that you're reading, don't read it and make Mm. up your own words. But I would always read the text and then say can you see how that would be? Like just ask them a question because it really helps them to engage with the book. And even when I'm reading it live, I allow, I allow you know, half an hour to read a, a pretty quick book wow. because you just ask them to really look into it and say, how many crabs can you see or what do you reckon's going on there? And, um, actually, I was talking to Sean Tan about this the other day because um, we did last year we did a Writers' Festival event together and this year I'm also in conversation with Sean Tan, which is great <laughs> if you can get along to see it. He's amazing mm. and one of my heroes. And we were just talking about how I think the best picture books you think about writing the story with the pictures but also saying it in a different way with the words. So you never sort of say, we're at the beach building a sandcastle and then do a picture of a sandcastle. So in my book it says, you might find yourself in a hot summery place. Imagine what you might make before it gets taken away or washed away. Mm. So you sort of implant a different way of looking at the same idea from the pictures and the words and that's the trick. So asking the kid, because then it allows the kid to go, oh, that's a sandcastle, so, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. To sort of guess it and draw the lo- the dots. And then they grow up and read literature and draw their own dots yeah. between what the words say. Yeah. If,
2: if there was someone, if there was a fly on the wall in your studio, what's one of the more curious things that it might observe? Uh, in my studio? Your, about your practice. <laughs> uh, well, at the moment it's full of animals. I seem to be
3: collecting pets at a rapid rate. I love animals so I've got a giant dog that just keeps growing. Oh, oh I yeah. met We've the met- other day. Yeah. yeah, he came into
1: the studio the other and day. And it was just a puppy and it was already a giant. Massive, yeah. yeah.
3: So he takes up like a third of the studio at You've the moment. You've got a
1: lizard as well, don't You've you? You've got
3: a lizard and all the bo- all of my pets feature in this book so i found that kids love to know about your life so I tell them a little bit about my studio but at the back of my book I've got a little blurb about our house and all our pets and um, my boys designed a few characters on one of the pages and kids are always like Really, is that where you live? Oh. It seems like such a basic thing, but yeah, it's kind of cool. But yeah, my studio's super messy, has lots of animals in it, usually has Triple R on, of course, <laughs> and it's just in flux. Like, it's not neat at all. But, but I, I, think I figure it shouldn't be neat. Right? It, every time I walk into a, a bookstore, I kids and I love because I've got niece and
0: nephews, and I love buying them books. Like, I spend so much time in the kids' book section yeah. now, <laughs> uh, just kind of you know pouring through things. And I always wonder, like, what makes a good Kids book. Do you yeah. do you know that when you write one? And is no. there kind of like a holy grail of kids' books that you look to and go, yeah, that's the of
3: course, yeah. I mean I grew up with lots of books, but the ones that I loved the most were the sort of slightly weird ones. So that had a lot of detail in the pictures. So but also had a message that you couldn't quite as a kid you were sort of like, I kind of get what this person's coming from, but you had to keep reading it to understand. So I loved books like Animalia from Graham Bates oh, and, yeah. and Jeannie Baker. I was obsessed with. So all those things she built that had sort of hidden pictures in the background or I loved looking at them thinking how did they make that? And actually I heard someone say recently and I think about it all the time now, you should make a picture book for your eight-year-old self that didn't exist when you were eight. So you've got to think oh. back and go, what would be the book that I would want to have then that didn't exist? And I was a bit political when I was a kid. I was like in the World Wildlife Fund. Oh, my Fund God, of course you were. You know, like I was, into, I was into all those things. And I was like, you know, school council yeah. representative and the drama team and all that stuff. And so I wanted something where I felt like I was kind of making a difference or that I was learning something about how to make a change in the world. And so with all my books, I've got things at the back, like the last time was about more about sort of meditation and slowing down and learning to deal with yourself on the inside. As we know, you got to do, do that first before you can make a change. But this one is more sort of inspiring kids to think, well, if I like the environment, this is what I can do. Or if I really like making stuff, this is what I might be able to do. So they're subtle but there's 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 things they can follow at the back and I really like the idea that I could help kids to realise how they can, yeah, make a change in their life or be
2: proactive in building their own path. What, what's going on when you hide things? At, uh, grand base. Yeah.
3: Well, kids love finding things and I've just found from having my own two kids, they're just the books that have things hidden in them, they will go, back to over and over again. So Where's Wally, obviously like yeah, now a dog's mm. called Wally as well. And but <laughs> the like, Where's Wally will be around forever. It's a classic. Yeah. But yeah, Graham base hiding the hiding the boy in the stripy top in every page. So I just decided to hide things in I think um, one of my books, Slow Down World Had Hidden Things and I found that kids found them pretty easily. So now they're a bit harder in this cool. one. And there's different things on every page and a list at the back. And kids just every single kid wants to find the things. It's competitive, I think, yeah. or something. Yeah, mm. Mm. yeah they love it if you
1: need some quiet time at home. Do you just tell your kids there's something hidden in the
3: backyard? <laughs> <laughs> <and they're> <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, they they love audio
3: books, so we were lucky. They just go, oh, I'm listening to an audio book now. They've listened to thousands of them. Wow. Yeah, it's a great um, turn in technology audio. Books. And do, they get, do they get
2: veto, or is it like, no, no, I've, I'm, I've got the, I'm the artistic driver here. I know.
3: Oh, over what I make in my yeah, books, yeah. they get a say. So there's a page in my book that says you might find yourself on a stage in the future performing to an audience of beings from another planet. Mm. So it's basically looking at the future. Some pages look at the past, but she's got like a hologram guitar, and she's playing to all these aliens, and it was fun making that page. But I actually realised. I don't have that many ideas of what aliens look like. You go through the basic ones, <laughs> yeah. like they're green and they've got like weird slit eyes or yeah. I don't know. Like, and Big then kid. I got stuck <laughs> and I was a bit like, oh. So I asked my boys and said, um, what, what do you reckon an alien looks like? And I got them to draw their two favourite forms of aliens just in their sketchbooks and then I made them in my style oh, and so wow. they're in the book. So it's kind of cool because... They have written a part of the book. Cool. Yeah. And If you can
2: just uh, quickly tell us about your appearances at the Melbourne Writers Festival. Yeah,
3: so I'm doing a live um, drawing. Well, it's not really a drawing. It's a building a picture on stage at the Wheeler Centre, um, and that is on I don't know the date. That's that's <laughs> asking me. That it's too early in the morning. <laughs> it's on a Saturday, and I know it's at about eleven o'clock. It's probably next weekend, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, they come around quick, don't they? So I'm I'm building it with a, a camera over me. So that you can watch it on the big screen. as oh. I And I'm mic'd up so I talk
1: about it at the same time. That'll be fun. Have a few coffees sure, for that people one. can ask you questions and stuff as you go. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: It's it's emceed by Emily Zoe Baker. I don't know if you oh, know cool. ECB. Yeah. So she's amazing, a poet and really funny. And we get along really well. We're old friends. So that will be fun. So, yeah, kids can shout out stuff and maybe I can interact with what they're saying and build the picture.
2: That'll Sunday, be fun. September 1st.
4: Oh, there is. you
3: go. Mm. Mm. Um, <laughs> and then I'm also in conversation with Sean Tan. So that will be really lovely. And I think he's talking about one of his new books. So... Um, we did that last year and it went really well and just lots of kids asking very smart questions. I'm always amazed. And he's a lovely sort of quiet but very intense speaker. Um, and then I'm doing a couple of the Boons events as well. So um, a confetti letter writing workshop where we all write intense letters and then strip Shred them up and chuck them at the stage and stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah, the boons are fun. It's all yeah. happening.
2: Yeah. Well, Ty Smith's new book, You Might Find Yourself, is out through Thames and Hudson, and uh, her writers' festival gigs can be found at MWF.com.au. Ty, thank you so much for coming in.
3: My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Triple
2: <laughs> R. Dave Lawson is a comedian, actor, and former Breakfast's segment presenter who stars as Scott in Utopia, season four of which screens on ABC TV each Wednesday at nine PM, and also on iView. And he stepped out of his shed to join us in the studio. Dave, welcome back to Breakfast. Thanks
5: for having me. It's great to be in the studio.
2: Well, you've been—you were, you you were loitering helpfully around during Radiothon.
5: Yeah, we got a got a took a few calls, not calls, read out a few names.
1: Do you remember any of them? No. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I do. I think there might have been Denise from Geelong maybe. <laughs> oh
1: Yeah.
0: Did yeah, anyone subscribe shadow. to you in particular? No, no, no. Oh. I, I
5: don't think I've, I've, I've been back here for a while, so, you know good to be back, maybe. Yeah, you know? It's season. not too late, not too late now. You could still... Do you want to do the
2: honours? Yeah.
5: Uh, yeah, call uh, 93881027. And this is what <laughs> I didn't... All these years, I didn't realise the phone number was the number of the stations. No, yeah. Yeah, you're just realise. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's amazing.
2: That's I
5: know, fine. I know, I mean, I know.
2: <laughs> it took me a while to realise the Beatles was a pun of, of beat, like a drum beat. Yeah. Ah. yeah. I mean, the, it, it takes years for the penny to
5: drop. Yeah, it's great. And it feels good when it does. It doesn't always have to happen straight. <laughs> Right away.
2: Um, to, to, for new listeners, can you tell us about the nature of the segment you did here?
5: I did. Uh, what well, started here and who was behind the desk? He had Phoebe Squared. Uh, the first time I ever came in here was Sam Pang, Tony Wilson, and Phoebe Squared came in. So I just popped in occasionally, and then I had um, my segment, Dave's Shed, which Phoebe came up with, and then that's turned into yeah, um, my very
1: successful show. The on YouTube and live.
5: Yeah. Well, yeah, <clears throat> it's just a talk show that I did out of my shed, which started here. Uh, doing the Dave Shed segment here, mm-hmm. and we just talk about anything we wanted to on a Friday. I, yeah, caught, it's hallowed ground. For... Mm, look at yeah, you,
2: from little things, big things. Grow. And you made the segment seem effortless. And
5: then I did the dam report, which I what, oh, during yeah. the drought, I reported on the dam levels Gee,
2: I can't, every I, week. I, like I, can't
1: I can't remember that. that. Can you? I remember that? was Marunda,
5: <laughs> and that was a big dam. Sugarloaf was another <laughs> I big one. Was right. Sugarloaf was a big. Uh, but now, that you know, it rained, so it was great to watch the, the dam levels rise. <laughs> <laughs> Just...
2: Can you talk to us about uh, Utopia and, you know, it's fourth season. Has, has mm. the dynamic for you changed? It would have been very exciting, season one. Has the novelty worn off? It and... isn't,
5: I don't, hopefully, the, I don't think the novelty will ever wear off, turning up to that office mm. there and putting the lanyard on. Because like, season one, for me, working with, you know, working dog, because I grew up watching The Late Show because I was in this mm. age group where I was too I was too uh, old to go to bed early but too young to go out partying, so I might have been forty uh, You're in been the 14.
1: early 40s, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, me <laughs> too. So on this, it was
5: a Saturday night, yeah. I think it was. So I watched
1: birds of a feather.
5: Yeah, waiting for it. So I would wait up for the late show to come on. So for me, you know, that was, you know, it was such a thrill to be able to work Who with Who do you vegetable. think is
1: more of a fan of the late show, you or Celia Bacola?
5: Oh, I, I, I've never talked to Celia about who's oh. more of a fan. Maybe we should have
1: a... I think you should have Not that, that everything needs to be a
5: competition, but we could have maybe a quiz.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, it would
5: be interesting to see. I, d- I don't know how many episodes there were of the late show. I don't think there was as many as I thought in my head because...
1: Celia's one of those people that is able to retain every single
5: yeah, line okay, yeah, and yeah, she, joke. She, so, she would know it.
1: Mm. Well, we found out yesterday there were only 63 episodes of
2: Acropolis now. I know. I can't believe that.
5: 63? Six, yeah. yeah.
2: Although five seasons, that's
0: pretty. That's pretty decent. I reckon
5: there was less episodes of Late Show. It might have been like twenty, or I don't mm, know. Yeah, someone will know.
0: Do you? Is it the kind of, of thing that you would say to working, like when you started working on this, Is it the kind of thing that you express to them that you're you're a massive I fan? Try, I or try, do you just keep I a
5: wanted on it? to be cool, just you know, at the start, and mm. yeah, I still I still feel a bit uh, starstruck around. Really? Or, yeah, I still don't want to say anything stupid in front of any of them because they, they are really great. They're, You know they work really hard. That's you know they know exactly what they're doing.
1: Do they have a different way of approaching making TV than? Or are you giving away trade secrets? No, I don't think there's
5: any trade secrets. No, I think yeah, I think they do lots things their own way, the way they they want to do it, and it works. Like we do an episode, we'll film an episode of Utopia pretty much in two days,
6: like a whole episode. Yeah.
5: Um. But that's because they spend time, you know, rehearsing it. They spend a lot of time on the script. I think by the time we get the scripts, it's probably been through seven or eight drafts.
1: Yeah, know,
2: right. Before we
5: even get a chance to look at it, and they're still working on it right up until, um, the moment the it's filmed.
2: And you, when do you get the scripts? Like, uh, do you the get week it? before. The so week we before. don't get a whole lot yep.
5: before. And I love it. It's, you know, that get it on the get it the week before and see what's what's happening. So this week there's an episode. I love this one that they've got. There's a work work experience kid coming into the office. I just watched this. (laughs) It's great. And I think to the storylines, you you go, I don't know where they come up. I mean, someone knows someone. I'm sure of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I've got no pr- proof or evidence, but you know, I'm pretty sure it's too perspicacious. Yeah, I know. Mm. Sometimes you go, "Come on."
2: Uh, what? You, what about? I mean, you've got hobbies. What do you, do? you have time on set to indulge yourself, or what do you do uh, between takes? How do you hang out?
5: Well, I'm like because it's a glass office. I've sort of got to be there a lot of the time, so I've got to pretend I'm actually oh, working at you're my in the desk. Background. Yeah, oh. yeah. So I've gotten quite good at um, background work. <laughs> Because you don't realise, but if you're walking from one end of the office to the other end of the office, it's got to be exact. You can't be sort of. You you've got to know mm,
1: for each take. For each take, yeah. so
5: you got to listen to the words that the other people are saying. Mm. Okay. So That's you've got my to action off I go. But I like giving myself a little bit of a motivation. Like maybe one would be a little sort of a half jog, which oh, would yes. be I'm, I've got to get to the toilet yep. qu- quickly. Like. <laughs> So uh, the, that's the fun for me was yeah. sort of having a, giving myself a story no, as so a, a background artist because yeah the, if if you can do it well it's not easy to be a, yeah. a really good background. So we need to artist. keep our eye
2: out for you busting and
5: stuff like that. Yeah no, no watch 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 what's happening. Was, watch the show don't wait don't look for. But yeah. maybe
1: go back
2: and there
5: is one I think I do it might have the newspaper under the arm as a sort of. <laughs> Go past Celia's office.
0: I feel like I need to go back and watch this. No, it's, oh, it's not
5: worth it. It's, actually, not, it's definitely not worth when it. I was, so.
0: When I was watching it, my partner was like, which one are you interviewing? And no. I was like, the one standing next to the whiteboard because there was a scene where you were just kind of, but now I think about it, you're really expressively just standing next to the, you weren't the point of the scene, but you were doing no. a very good kind of like semi-background acting. Well, you've got to not be
5: noticed. I think that that's a good background artist uh, is to not be noticed. Mm. You don't want to. Don't want, want to shift focus. Yes. No, you don't want to shift focus, and you've got yeah. to hit that spot at exactly the right time. So when they cut it together, you're not at one end of the office yeah. or the other. But yeah, that's that's how I spent my time. <laughs>
2: <to>. <laughs> and do you feel like the the public service or corporate Australia is being ripped off, not having you working in an office? Because it seems like you would be a valuable contributor in an office environment.
5: Um, yeah, I. Look, I I, I, did, I did feel really good w- walking around wearing mm. the the lanyard. Putting that lanyard on gives you a purpose. Mm. It feels like you've got a purpose for the day, and that's what you're doing. Um, I didn't get a- any actual work done though. I don't think so. Yeah, I'll, yeah.
2: You don't think you'd be good at a regular job because you've been you've been acting. You, your CV's insane, isn't
5: oh, it? Well, I've been getting away with it for 20, <laughs> 20 years. Yeah, I, was, I think it has been twenty years now since I did my first. bit. But I'm I think I'm good at. You know, being either in the back, doing the background. work. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. I think I'm. That's your thing. Ba- being a background artist. Yeah. I
1: know I might have missed that's it. That's your backup.
5: Yeah. yeah. that's what I would do as a backup. Extra. Yeah. Back background background artist.
1: Yeah. Not an extra. Not an extra,
5: sorry. No, but, yeah. What was
0: your first acting job?
5: It was uh, for a chocolate milk company. Yeah, it would have been was 20 it? years ago. Yeah. It was a milk called Gary Chocolate Milk. Oh my God, I
0: remember, I remember Gary. Gary.
5: Yeah. Huh I think I thought it was a good idea. That was the first ever. <laughs> job. And that was after I did that, I thought that's great. That scratched that itch. I got to be in an ad. Yeah. For chocolate milk. Mm. And then you just want to But did you want to be
1: it. an actor growing up? Was that was that sort always the dream? Maybe or?
5: about 16. You were 16, just I thought oh, this would be fun. Yeah. So, you know you do drama at school and yeah. stuff. Yeah, this yeah. is fun.
1: But you did you have formal like did you go to uni or anything like yeah. that or you just walked into a commercial and walked
5: into a commercial yeah oh
1: the dream yeah. mate
5: uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think anyone else wanted to do the commercial because yeah. you know I wanted to be a proper actor yeah, be, yeah. and then no one would, I did the commercial and you know for chocolate milk and then here you are 20 commercial years for, later I did doing background sex and
2: whiteboards oh well, yeah <laughs> I want to ask because uh, you've you've got to he- such a hefty background working with children yeah Uh is it what about play school or something like that? Play school it...
5: be great, but I don't think you can't call up, but you've got to wait. Really? All oh, right. The think... call comes to you. Yeah, you don't call play school, they call you. <laughs> <laughs> play, yeah, did play school be good. I did Nickelodeon I did Nickelodeon for maybe five years, which was a kids' channel on Foxtel. Yeah. And their slime was the Yeah, their big yeah, thing. Yeah.
1: Mm.
5: So I don't know, maybe I've been s I'm slimed out, maybe, you know.
2: What is it? What sort of fan? I mean, I know you must get old old kids coming up to you now. They're older or whatever. Yeah. And is that you know? Do you Go out for, for a beer. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: it's true though. What's some... the most what's the most re- thing they say to you the most? Like identify you by.
5: Uh, normally they go oh they swear and go because normally it's some guy who looks old. Now. Yeah. Because I used to watch you on every afternoon. Oh, it's that guy. You know. Oh no. Yeah, I used to watch you every afternoon, and then then you realise how old you are because they look. Some kids look old. You know? <laughs> mm. Like, yeah. they look like they're 35, 40. Some of these, you know, some, some <laughs> kids look grown up and they're they're, they're scary. So, Have yeah. you
1: been recognised from your Gary days?
5: Chocolate milk, no. Mm. No, that was, uh, that would be good.
1: Would be good. Someone
5: sent in a text. Gary chocolate milk.
1: There it is. Oh, <laughs> I really want to see it.
5: That's the one. <laughs>
0: It's bringing back the Yeah, I yeah. was.
5: I, I can't remember the ad, I, in the ad. What did
0: you have I, to say in it? I do really a, want to know. At a
5: footy match, cheering, and then someone passes me the chips, and then I go to pass the chips to Gary, who's the chocolate milk. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but
2: hot chips and chocolate milk don't go together. Yeah, they All these like, years later You're still also shifting units Oh so yeah,
5: 40 get, get Shut down It got shut down Gary got shut down Oh yeah I did a lot
0: Gary got shut down <laughs> What <laughs> else have you shut K- down
5: Kmart, K- 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 <laughs> Tire and Auto I rolled the wheel I was the guy who rolled the wheel You oh, know the happy like, you really Happy go lucky guy Who rolled the wheel <laughs> I did hate Dr Pepper. I sold lots of stuff.
0: Killed off a lot of brands in Australia. <laughs> I know,
5: I know,
2: I, I, I really did. <laughs>
7: yeah, I did. Pepper. Oh shit! Oh.
2: Yeah. Uh, look, we could spend all day going Th- through. Thanks for having
5: me. <laughs> yeah, and if you yeah, through my, all the brands I've killed. Uh, Nine three eight eight one zero two seven. It's not too late to subscribe. But
2: just quickly, is there anything in Utopia we should be looking for? I know that you've you know you've been on a cherry picker. Cherry you know,
5: picker. Uh, no, no, no! Just watch the episode tomorrow night, nine yep. p.m. The Work Experience Kid. It's it's really it's really good.
2: Good on you, Dave yeah. Lawson. Thanks so much.
5: Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app.
1: Went to one of the local pubs last night with a, a friend of mine. Good decision. Yeah, was Palmer Night off we oh, went. Yum. Oh yum! Yeah, uh, and um, why we were there? Uh this is a friend of mine who loves a dare, loves um bit of you know, doing silly things, like she she goes, Do you have a scare cath? I'm like, No <laughs> No, I don't. I'm like, oh, because she scares her partner, And then she changed me because of her just hiding behind doorways. Oh, my God. Down. And I'm like, and I said, do you, does she scare you? She goes, no, I don't like it. I'm like, you are <laughs> the, the worst. But she said there was one time she goes, this is a good one because I, I put the shower on. So she thought I was in the shower. Oh, that's so smart. <laughs> anyway, like, but she's very, you know, there's a lot of thought that goes into <laughs> into her scaring tactics she's also a big fan of um you know april fool's days um like and does a lot of like she once she convinced someone one of her mates that her house has been bought by the government and and stuff, like does all the paperwork and stuff. Jesus, that's intense. Yeah, it goes next level. Like she got me during comedy festival once and told me like had sent me like a cease and desist letter on something that I was doing. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. It was
2: yeah. That's fantastic.
1: It was next level. It was great. People
2: people don't like that sort of stuff, but I'm I'm in favour of the effort.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. I think once effort is involved and you see the level of effort, you go, oh, yes. Got me. You got me so good. This PTSD and it's, is so worth it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> But it's just funny when I ask her, I'm like, "What happens when she's getting?" Oh no, she, I don't, I don't like it. And then, like, her partner rocked up, rocked up later, and I asked her about this scaring stuff, and she goes, "Oh yeah, she goes, I, I like, you know, she gives me a cuddle afterwards, and you know, everything's all right." Um, but she said that. She goes, I scare her sometimes. I do, it, I do it a few times. And then she showed me footage of one that she did and it's like next level. She, you know, like my friend like clutches her pearls. Like not just <laughs> wearing pearls but it's that, whoo, like an old lady. was sort of like, oh, that is. That's a good some, scare. Yeah, sweet retribution there for someone that scares you all the time. Um, anyway, she's also a big fan of doing dares. Um, you know, so the topic came, you know, she goes, what are you going to talk about on the radio? Um, And I go, oh, and she goes, you know what she should start doing is, um, you know, dares. We really – our family's really into dares. And I'm like, have you not heard of Wednesday? We can that. Oh, God help us all. Yeah. Rest in peace, Wednesday. Yeah. I think that the Wednesday was, was good Um, up and – I think it, it served its purpose and it served its time. <laughs> but Wednesday was um, – Wednesday, it's – because we tried to do dares that had no victims. I think once you start yeah, bringing, all, nearly all
0: did. I feel like the nature of dares is that there's always a victim, mm. even if it's the person doing it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, oh yeah, that's a, that's a guarantee. But uh, I mean, in terms of, I didn't, we didn't want, I didn't want to ruin someone else's day. No, you know, so that's why it kind of there's only so much. You I can don't think that's do. why. I think it's because that we chicken out of dares every time we
0: got given one. Well, you did. Well, you Jeff. did too.
1: Oh yeah, I did. <laughs> I did, yeah, and I did Who last night chickens? as well. Did you? Oh, you were dead. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Because she she was like, oh, I did, you, um, you know, pick up this candle. All the tables had candles on it, and she goes, "You have to take this, swap candles with another table. Like you can pick any table. You have to swap candles." Um, and then um, and then and I'm just looking at an empty table. She goes, "No, not an empty table." <laughs> and then she said, "And you have to like mention fire." <laughs> Like you know, or oh, has the has this fire festival? <laughs> I'm like, I'm not doing that. Like I just you know, so. But she's she's be- like she'll go to the museum with the kids. And- Sorry. So the idea was someone would
2: be at the having dinner and you would come up and say, "How's this fire festival?" and take their candle.
1: Yeah, swap candles. Yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> She says, I could say anything about fire while probably swapping just think candles. That's why
0: just feel sorry for you and going, oh, poor person that <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: has their crossed you.
1: Yeah. Just, I don't know, who knows what people think and how I would get around it and I don't know. I think I just go back to the high school days of being... Having some, I think I go back to that fear of having someone come over and talk to me, and then not knowing why they're talking to me. Yeah, and you're waiting to see
0: if there's a group of people watching. Yeah, laughing. and then having
1: like all the popular girls go, oh,
0: "Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> you're not really coming to the dance, Geraldine." Yes,
1: that. horrifying. Anyway, insane. we um. <clears throat> We did start um playing this game this place had some board games, um and like trivial pursuits categories and all that kind of stuff. Cool. But they also had Jeopardy. Um so we played a bit of Jeopardy and she did dare me to um bring Jeopardy in and play it. Um so I uh, um, Oh, so you stole oh. it from
2: the pub? <laughs> Will you return it? I will absolutely. I was <laughs> I don't know you didn't name the pub.
1: I, was ab- I will absolutely return this. But there's a pub out I'll- there in Melbourne that knows they had a pub night last night, and that
0: they have Jeopardy available.
1: I didn't steal the whole game. I didn't steal. I just stole yeah. one card. Yeah. One card. One card. So well, I don't know how Jeopardy works. It's really simple because okay, like, we we were against it uh, to begin with when we were playing it and then we were reading and going, oh, no, this is – I get it. It's easy. Um, so I'll give you a, a couple of – I'll try and find an, an easy one. All right. Um, oh, here we go. <clears throat> uh, food and drink. Also, just so you know, I feel really guilty about having this card in my yeah, hand. Yeah, and I will absolutely return this. It was – anyway – uh, food and drink. <clears throat> the name of this pasta is Italian for thin strings. What is spaghetti? spaghetti. Correct. Oh, you have to
0: say, what is tea? Yeah. Ah. Is that what makes it Jeopardy? Yeah. That's right, ah, yeah. Ah, okay. You
1: would you, have you, you would have actually watched it before, have you? Yeah, I mean, it's been on air for decades. I've never yeah. watched it. Mm, I
2: mean, probably not so much in Australia, but they have celebrity versions as well and that's exciting and, they, the, you know, they get good celebrities winning lots of money.
0: I know it through The Simpsons, as oh, I know. Right. You know how yeah. that's often like everything. Uh, yeah, everything. <laughs> and they,
2: I was mentioning not long ago they had the, a record winner on it who gamed the system. With the, oh, that's yeah, right. That was jeopardy
1: because mm. it, it, it was based on how much he was betting and stuff like. Yeah, yeah. normally you
2: go down the board and you go easiest first, but yeah. he was jumping at the end and somehow knew the maths. And did he get kicked uh, off for it, or did he? No, no, he, he never. He didn't beat the ultimate record, so people were happy about
1: ah. that. Ah, mm. how odds the ultimate record been there for?
2: Uh, a pretty long time, but yeah, he's he's he like money balled It he can
1: they compete? You know that Brad Pitt movie. The, mm. yeah, anyway. Like slumdog mill, you know. That's right. How about this <laughs> mythology? Cereal uh, is from Ceres, the Roman goddess of this, which is also a cabinet department.
0: What is the ministry of
2: air? I don't
1: know. If you know the answer, you can text in 0466102. Yeah. I, I, I think my brain forgot
2: the question halfway through, sorry. So I you're choosing talking. it. So ordinarily, I would go, I'll choose mythology for yeah. 400, Alex. Oh, is that how it works? Mm. But but I would not have chosen mythology personally. If okay. You've imposed mythology on us. you're getting out of my
0: now. It's not a category. It's not my category. All
1: right. Uh, choose a category then. Yeah. Do you, oh, do you know all the categories? Just, just choose one for me okay. if you like. <laughs> How about, how about movies? Just an easy one. You'll yeah, right. be good at this, Daniel. To send us oh. off. Uh, he played Wolverine in the X-Men films. Oh, who, is so who is Hugh, Hugh Jack Jackman? Man? Who played last night and my mum went and saw him. Really? Oh, played where? Where? At, um, Rod, Rod Laver. Laver. Doing yeah. what? I don't know. Hugh Jackman, in
2: the world's greatest showman or something. Doing or, tap dancing and stuff. Yeah. Huh.
0: Tap dancing and stuff. <laughs> Doesn't he do that?
1: <laughs> yeah. he's Probably sings as well. What's okay. <laughs> on a show. Triple R.
2: Fred Armisen is an Emmy and Grammy-nominated actor, comedian, writer, producer, and musician who, from 2002 (laughs) to 2013, was a cast member of Saturday Night Live. He's also co-creator and co-star of Portlandia, for which he won his second Peabody Award, and he's touring Australia for the first time with his show Comedy for Musicians, but Everyone is Welcome, on tomorrow night, 8pm, at the Athenaeum, and he joins us in studio now. Fred Armisen, welcome to Breakfasters. Hi, how are you guys doing? Very well. It's a uh, so much of your career, at, you know, at SNL and your special stand-up for drummers showcases your mastery of impressions and accents. Should Australians be self-conscious now that you're in town?
8: Um, no, I, I think if I do an impression of an accent, it's more like a question. I'll, I'll, I'll be asking, "Does this sound right? Does this sound accurate to this city, uh, to this part of the country?" So um, it's never in, in a way that's like making fun. No, in, no, in in, a, in that way, but. Um, uh, I will, I'll, I will say that I will be trying to pick up on whatever uh, mannerisms there are for, with, with people that I meet. This is my first time in Australia. I've never been here. Amazing. This is my first interview in Australia. Wow. Oh, Thank wow. you. Yeah, I'm so excited. I love this country so much. I really, really like nagged at my booking agent to make this tour happen. I wanted to be here so badly.
2: Oh, it's so nice oh. to have you here. Well, it's a very Fred Armisen city, Melbourne.
8: Oh, great. I'll take it. Uh, yeah. yeah.
2: It's, it's you know, in, and you'll probably pick up on this. It's, it's, you've probably come to the Portlandia of the Southern Hemisphere.
8: Yeah. This one street that I drove down just now, I was just looking, cause they're those sort of two story, uh, like the balcony buildings that are, look so cool. There's like cool shops all along the way. Mm. And uh, right away, I was like, "Well, oh my God, where am I?" Because I want to come back to this area. Maybe I'll come back Friday or something. I think
0: but... you definitely should. I noticed you were asking people for record store recommendations. Yes. Yeah. On your way here, have you been able to visit any yet?
8: Yeah, I did two in the downtown area. Nice. Um, and uh, so far, that's been good. But I'm gonna. Keep... I actually have to restrain myself because, you know, they're so heavy. Yeah. It's... So I want to be able to like from city to city, just you know, find the right. Just ones get to go them to post
1: to. it back home. Can't you do that?
8: Okay, so here's my question. I, that is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, but do people do that here?
1: I guess so. I don't know.
8: Every
0: time I go to the US and buy records, I post them back. I get friends to post them back.
8: Like it's worth
6: it, whatever well, you're paying for it. Always it's, worth it,
8: yeah. It's, they're the wrong size for suitcases and for carry-on. They're just, they're just the wrong size. So yeah. Better to put them in a box or something.
2: Absolutely, it happens. If your yeah. friends go to New Orleans and bring them you know, you post them. It's same with wine.
8: Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that would be a crazy thing to bring on in a suitcase. That's right. You're begging for an accident.
2: And Australia, it's just, we're so far away. It's like, we've come all this way. You know, you want to bring it home for you. You want the gift that has a residual payoff when you return.
8: How do you guys see the rest of the world? Are you guys like the whole rest of the world is far away?
2: Yes, because we all travel
0: and we're all used to doing 22 hour flights everywhere we go. So I think that's how it kind of feels.
8: Every time you look online for flight prices, it must just be like, all right, here it comes. Yeah. Well, yeah. He here comes the jet lag well. As well. that's right.
2: We, we have a culture also of long service leave because we are so far away. The long service leave was about, you know, catching a, a ship that would take weeks and weeks. So we have giant holiday <laughs> breaks uh, so
8: that the, we can explore. That's good, though. That's a that's a good benefit, I guess.
2: Yeah.
0: What's your kind of understanding? I'm interested in you being in Melbourne, because it's such a music city. We've got the most record source per capita of any city in the world, so you've got heaps to visit. And yes, I, I saw there were a lot of
8: recommendations yeah, yeah. right away, and yeah, yeah. friends of mine... They had different ones. I was like, how many do you guys have here? Yeah, it's,
0: it's bananas and lots yeah. of bands to see. Um, and I know your mate Carrie from Portlandia yeah. has played here so many times and um, recorded in Australia as well.
8: Did she kind of give you any recommendations for Melbourne? She didn't. I, she pointed out this city in particular. She compares Australia to California. Yeah, right. Which is where I live now. So she says that there are a lot of similarities. And um, we just have a bunch of friends from here and uh, – yeah, some great bands came from here all, all through the years because of, i think birthday parties from here right? yeah they are and so you guys have a you don't need me to tell you you have a good but
0: it's history nice to hear about it about is, you know um, i think it's so interesting you started your life as which you've talked about quite a bit in a band called trench mouth and you played in them quite is that right that's the name of the band yeah so yeah. yeah you played in them quite seriously until you were like 30 years old yeah. um i know things have turned out really well for you with fame and fortune and comedy but is there anything about that punk rock lifestyle that you miss at all or that you think oh if I could just have that bit back
8: um yes that's a really good question there are times there were cities that we used to go to where people would turn up just because it's a punk band so there was a scene so we'd go to some town really in in, um, Nebraska or South Dakota you know right in the center of, of the United States and it was like this very supportive group right away and I do find that a little bit now still, but it didn't have... Like, back then, it was, like, T-shirts and stickers, and there was, like, a real feeling of, like, we don't know who your band is, but we're here. Yeah. Um, but I do seek that out, and I do sort of maintain it a little bit. Um, there, You know, whenever I go to a city, I, I, I think even by going to record stores and things like that, I do... There is that sort of sense of community. Um, there are things I don't miss. I don't miss... Um, be, when you're in a band, every decision to go eat is a group decision. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm s- starving, you know, and I've got to... Well, we should go there. I'm like, well, let's wait. Someone's getting ready and all that stuff. So I, I, being a comedian is much... that That's the part I don't miss is like I could just go someplace to eat. Well, as a comedian,
1: going. you started out... Um, you made the transition in the, the Blue Man group. Is that right?
8: Yeah, that is the... That would, I would say that's the right transition in that I'd been playing in punk bands for a long time. And then when I played drums for Blue Man Group, that's when I, you know, because my band, we got nowhere. We yeah. played to a lot of empty places. And I think, you know, we were friends and everything, but we just overthought the music. Everything was very complicated and, mm. and um, overthought. And we were trying to prove how fast we can play. And then at Blue Man Group, I saw that it was sold out every night and that audiences just want to be entertained. Yeah, They're very simply are like, here, just do something nice for us. So that sort of made me rethink about what drumming is and what entertainment is.
0: So many of your impersonations have been music impersonations over the years. Your Prince one is super famous. Um, but also you just play in bands a lot in your skits. With the Prince one, with the Prince impersonation, it's such a fine line between like parroting someone and also paying tribute to them. And you're a mega fan of his. How did you kind of strike that balance so well with that impersonation?
8: That was very easy because i had been doing that since college, that imp- impression. It's just like it was just a part of, you know, I I, I think when you're sort of uh, on your way to doing, you know, when I was on my way to being a comedian and everything, it was just always in the back of my head. And I was just, I always wanted to get a chance to meet him. And, and it was just, I feel like almost everything I do is like, a tribute to something. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, that was one that just came, came really easily. And there's also so little to do because he so, he doesn't say much. And <laughs> our experiences with him on the show were actually through a third person. It was always, you talk to this person. We'll talk to Prince. And um, I, by the way, I can't believe, I still can't believe he's dead.
0: I said this this year mm-hmm. as well. At the start of this year, every so often I hear Prince. and I go, how
8: is he dead? It's so strange. He mm-hmm. just seemed like he would never die. Agreed. Yeah. Um I'll see a picture of him now. And I'm like, oh, that's right. He's not around. I remember also towards the end of his life, I think he did a tour here, right? Didn't yeah. you do like a mm. piano and a microphone yeah, tour? Yeah, it was a huge ah. tour here. Yeah. In the round tour. Oh, how nice. I know. Luck- right. You guys are so lucky. That's great that you got to, you know.
1: Yeah. How long do you? How long does it take for you to, when you do an impression of someone, is it different for, you know, for each person that you come up with? Like, can you do it? Like in, you'd spend like half an hour with someone and you can do a good impression or is there, a, you know, more? No, it's like
8: a sense. Like I, I'll i just know what I can and can't do. Mm. So it's more, it works the other way around where I'll see someone, I'll go, oh, I think I could do an impression of that person. But a lot of the times it's like, no, that's not in my wheelhouse. That's something I can't. Uh, uh, so it's it's almost like, it's almost a little bit like I just take the easy way out and I yeah. just, there are certain people I can do. Your show tomorrow
2: night. Uh, comedy for musicians, but everyone is welcome. What what itch is that scratching for you? Is there a, is there a live component that you...
8: It's a little bit like... um, It's like a collection of things that I like to do. So if I try regular stand-up, I'm very limited. And I have tried that before. There are parts of the show where... I remember there, there was a time where I was like, I was trying to put a Netflix uh, special together of regular stand-up.
4: Mm-hmm.
8: I had some stuff, but there was no like momentum there wasn't like you know it didn't flow that easily but as soon as i started talking about music and instruments and going to music stores and people choosing cymbals and guitars
4: mm.
8: all of a sudden there was too much material all of a sudden any dumb idea i would just write down and when i did it for musicians they reacted in a way that was like it was so specific <laughs> that uh it just it just worked right away so what this is, it's like an excuse. First of all, it's an excuse to come to Australia. Because if I just showed up and was like, hey, I'm going to, you know, only talk about, uh, I'm going to go up there and just only talk about Portlandia. That's different than like, I, I, want, I have something to say mm. about being a musician. I have something to say about this experience. And I'm finding that there are also so many musicians. Yeah, um, So that's the other big surprise for me. Is that everyone has also people have kids who are learning music, so it's a lot more universal than I expected.
2: Mm. Is there anything specific that you're surprised at how universal it is that you know this was a joke for drummers and gee whiz, everyone's noticed it?
8: Yes, um, also that um, people who aren't necessarily musicians, uh, they show up and even if even if they don't understand all the jokes, they're they're into it anyway. Yeah, I, I like that. That's one surprise of it, and also just like the fact that I've, kept, I've been doing this tour in the States and that it's kept going this, this whole year, it's, it's been great. And then, um, I don't mean like I'm great. I mean like, <laughs> it's been, it's been a, a very rewarding. And there's also, you know, ego-wise, you know, I look up at the stage, I'll set up a drum, I have a drum kit on stage, a guitar and an amp, and it makes me seem really talented. I'm like, hey, look at all those instruments up there, <laughs> yeah. but I, then I don't have to deal with, with a, a whole band. And going to eat with them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you also you you appear to be totally unflappable, uh, and and so you know you're you know you you're happy in silence as well. Is that a for for someone in the world of comedy? Is that is that a gift or how did you learn that?
8: Um, I don't know. It's almost like I think I may have been very fortunate not to have made it in the music business, because then everything just seems like. Uh, this is so corny, but like a gift. So it's all because I've gotten to do comedy. It's I've been through so much with music and you know playing to nobody that any anything else just it just all seems what a like, bonus. Yeah, there's it's people all bonus. there. Yeah, there's people there
1: staring up, looking at you, taking yeah. it
8: all in. Yeah, the early days, I remember doing stand up. You know, I had no reaction. <laughs> you know, before I was on Saturday Night Live. And I got kind of used to that. I just kind of got used to the, you know, because I don't have, like, joke jokes and, like, punchlines and all that stuff. Um, so uh, it just... I just made it work for me.
2: Mm-hmm. There's a... Uh, I'm so interested in uh, the show, and I, I can't wait to see it. And you're traveling around the country. Is there anything that you hope to soak up, or you just...
8: It, first of all, I already feel like it's not enough. Yeah. Like, um, my original thought was like i guess it, i must be going everywhere right adelaide canberra mm. darwin i i want to go to every <laughs> every place like i just had this i just imagined you know that also that this is ignorance on my part that you get to go on a bus or a van and you go from city to city but it's all flying mm. which i'm not used to um i mean you guys really picked a big place <laughs> Yeah,
2: there's huge
8: distances yeah
2: I was thinking also that you. I read somewhere that you had an Ira Glass impression that was maybe too niche to 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 kick off. But Melbourne's a place where. Oh, so you guys know Ira Glass? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he sells he you he know will, we, he'll sell out the art center, you know, huge like patron state of Melbourne, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting.
8: <laughs> um, he's just he pauses a little <laughs> bit, and he it interrupts himself in the thought. <laughs> what What does it mean to drive from city to city or, or to fly? that so we can do it when I come back.
0: That kind of like yeah. automatically relaxed oh, me. Oh, <laughs> to know, he, is, oh, he, is,
8: he is very relaxing. And and uh, that is what happened <laughs> on Saturday Night Live. I, I did it for, we have this segment of the show called Weekend Update. It was like a news mm. segment. And we did it for dress rehearsal and just not enough people knew who he was. And he heard the story and he was amused by it. Oh, You've had um,
0: so many musical guests on Portlandia too. And Danzig is probably one of my favorite i think uh i just love that you got him
8: oh one of my favorites also oh, and really? a highlight a real highlight of my life really oh yeah just like because him he is a, you know he's legendary for such a cool thing and that he showed up he flew up to portland you know he had to be up really early in the morning and then he did the sketch he really reacted to it and I, it is a highlight of my life oh. and, and i've stayed in touch with him and are your friends some with time.
0: danzig now can you imagine I, oh
8: my god I've said that sentence out loud to myself to am <laughs> friends with Danzig.
5: Um
8: and he's um he's an interesting guy. He's he's um very funny and definitely a, he lives in California but a very New Jersey kind of person. Meaning you know, he's got that accent, you know, kind of East Coast yeah, you know, like uh, there's something about him that uh, remind. I'm originally from the East Coast, from New York, so he reminds me of people from home a little yeah, bit. Yeah, right.
0: Was yeah. there any musicians then that kind of? I mean, that surprises me, but I love that. I, I love it. Are there any musicians who had particularly good comedy chops that
8: kind of surprised you? Um, it's never really a surprise in that. Like, I think comedians and musicians are always trying to be each other anyway. Yeah. Mm. Um, but Amy Mann was shockingly right on she was perfect and then you know carrie brownstein i knew her originally as she was in my favorite band <laughs> so right away i was like not only do i want to work with her i want to be like comedy partners with her so i would say those those are the two biggest
2: and if you're band leader of the of seth Meyers uh late night show what 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 skills does that draw on for you
8: Um, my short term attention span for writing songs, Right. so when the band all write songs together, but they're, you know, they're only 30 seconds or or 40 seconds or something. So I don't have the ability to write, like to craft, you know, a song long term, but like little short songs, easy. And, um, also getting to be on TV. I love getting to do TV to get to hang out with m- the people in that band are my friends. Seth Myers is my friend. I'm name dropping right now. Yeah. yeah.
0: Doing mean a really good job of it though. Thank yeah. you. Oh, we're picking them up.
8: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. Thanks so much. <laughs> uh, so. I-, I have to name drop some Australians. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, oh,
0: I- have you ever met Rob? I've-, I've known that I read an article where you listed your top five, and this is so nice, top five drum so it was like the drum solos or yes. drum bits in songs, and one of them was from Rob Hurst. Easily. Midnight
8: Oil. Well, that would be my favorite drum solo.
0: Yeah, right. Wow. Which song was it again?
8: Uh, Power and the Passion. Power
0: and the Passion, that's it.
8: Have you met Rob Hurst? I Never was just, met him. It would be so
0: good if you could make something happen there. Oh, my
8: God. That is uh, – and that's an easy one. That that came to me. I was like, that is that – is a, that's a very moving drum solo. Yeah. And it makes no sense, and it's cra- – I think there's glass breaking in it. Yes. And <laughs> – there's some and also the beat that's going on, it's like kind of a drum machine going on in the background or something. it's just beautifully crafted it is beautiful
2: uh fred Armson, we've been speaking to and his show comedy for musicians but everyone is welcome is on tomorrow night at the athenaeum theater at 8 p.m go to au for tickets and all the details fred Armson, thank you so very much for swinging by
8: thanks for having me i love australia i love melbourne Independent Melbourne Radio 3 R.
1: As per special request yesterday from not one but two people that sent in a text to our text line 0466 981027, it is time for dinner review.
0: (laughs) It's a, what day is it? Thursday? It's Thursday. It's a Thursday, so for surprise Wednesday night dinner review.
1: Mm. Putting you on the spot. Here we go. I'm
0: so upset we're doing it tonight. Now, like
1: today. Now that you Now I've
0: thought about it. Now yeah. you thought about it. What yeah. you had
1: for dinner last night was the shittest dinner I've had in ages. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah, mine's not not the, not the greatest. Is it a warmed up pie? It a wet was pie? close to. Oh. So it was. It was very. It's very on brand. Oh. <clears throat> <clears throat> yes. So last night, um, uh, Catherine been down at Venus Bay, and she sent me a message, like in the afternoon, saying, um, oh hey, getting caught up with what is rain here. Um, I'm not gonna be home till later, and I was like, no problem.
2: Was there really an oh hey? Or, did text messages between oh. partners say hey? Yeah. I mean, I'm not fact checking. I'm just curious. No, no, no. I'm just because it's hey, like... hey is usually. Cause I'm like, oh wow, if you two are hating each other. I don't hate. I just get straight to the point in a really rude way with my. No, nah, I don't think there so was no anything oh, hey. If there's something that's wanted, it's hey baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah,
0: you
1: baby, it's baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey babe. Because uh... you know, I'm no, you know, oh hey. Uh, I think (laughs) she sent me a picture of a quilt that she was working on. Oh, God. And just... Stop being so... No. Yeah, and said... I don't know. There's too many pictures of quilts to find out the actual text. <laughs> um Oh, no. Yeah, sorry. No, uh, hey. It was just, I don't think I'll be home until, like, the rain is slowing me down. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. You're right. I
1: wish I was getting quilt pics. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll for down <laughs> yeah, Oh, my God. That person. Did
0: you just read that text that came through? Oh, no. Hey, babe, wet pie for dinner.
1: <laughs> 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 anyway, so... <laughs> no wet pie last night oh. so Kath, Kath had, um anyway so uh i was like oh, i'll sort, sort myself and i was gonna go um watch some comedy last night um and then decided not to went oh, no, i'll just have a night eating it'd be nice um And then I – so not much food in that. And I went to the supermarket knowing I just had to feed myself and not wanting to get any kind of takeaway or anything like that. I was like, you're just going to feed yourself. And also walking into the supermarket thinking, don't go to the frozen section, don't go to the frozen section, don't go to the frozen section. Mm. I didn't go to the frozen section. Good on you. Thanks, mate. I I just made – I bought um, a couple of bread rolls – And I made chicken burgers. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's fine. Where'd you get the burgers from? I made, like, I just bought a chicken. The frozen section? No. (laughs) (laughs) I bought a a chicken (laughs) snitchel. Oh, uh, from the deli. From the deli. Went to the deli. Fried it up yourself? Yeah, of course. But Good job. How else would you? I don't know. <laughs> why take it to the to the on-site chef. <laughs> Excuse me, could you fry this, up, you fry for this me? up for me? How, like, I'm not that bad. Oh, I could... I don't know. Maybe you microwaved it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm capable of cooking a snit, snitty on it. But th- this pan. comes
2: not long after a uh, pub
1: Palmer. Yeah, I know. Oh I... crumb chicken on crumb chicken. Yeah. Mm. Well what can I say? I'm a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> I did think that also, was that did... was the thing that I was thinking about. I'm like, this is kind of and there especially was... given what happened the night before. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was very you, you don't tell anyone about No. Oh, obviously. I woke up in the middle of the night and I was very but that might have been the beer that I had with it. And okay. I didn't had no drinks last night. Mm-hmm. So She was sick. It was yeah, oh, to the point where I thought I had food poisoning, but I thought, so no, I think, I think you've just overindulged, mate. <laughs> and I, but I didn't anyway. <clears throat> I um so oh the, there was like you, you can get different. There's a normal one, and there's like a honey mustard one, and there's a parmigiana one.
0: Oh yeah, pre
1: parmed. It's I think they just put some cheese in the crumb or something oh, like yeah. that. It's just a different bits of crumming of the of the meat, and um but the Palmer one was on special, like it was half price, oh. and I was like, you know, "I can't double Palmer. I know it's not the same Palmer, <laughs> <laughs> but I went for the honey mustard." Oh, I think you still, t- <laughs> still
0: double. you still double Palmer. Yeah,
1: but not to the full extent. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, nice. nothing wrong with a double Palmer. <clears throat> let's be honest with that.
2: Plus, you get you got made yourself two, didn't you?
1: Two burgers. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, oh, I that's cut so that, exciting. I cut that snitty in half. Yeah,
2: that's great. Then there's not all this pressure on the one. Yeah,
1: and then uh, and then it just s- bought some salad to go. You know, oh, not salad. I bought some lettuce and tomato and. and oh, cat- lovely. Yeah, good dinner. Yeah, it was lovely. I ate too much. Though.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Eight, <laughs> two, hey, so you just needed one, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Was it mayo? Oh, no. Yeah,
1: a bit yeah, of mayo. mayo. Okay,
2: sweet. Uh, Daniel? Look, inspired by Geraldine, I actually, I mean, it was, I just totally ripped you off. I went and got a palmer at the pub because it's all I could think about after you mentioned it.
1: Yeah, fair enough. So, was uh, it palmy night? Did you steal it, any beer? Well, games? I didn't realise
2: because I, I got a beer as well, as is, you know, I'm a big boy, I can do what I want, yeah. And um, on a school night and uh, – it was cheaper than I expected, so I was like, "Oh, of course, it's a, like a Wednesday night; it's cheaper." Ah. But then I'm like, "Do they withhold the big? Do they do they just get rid of lower circumference palmers?
1: Well, some I wonder the ones that have been well. sitting at the bottom of the freezer, yeah. a giant plate. Yeah, I well, think I think I don't think there's time for palmies to go to sit in the bottom of the freezer for too long. Well, how, I, bi-
2: how big was it? It was, it was fine. I actually didn't want it bigger, but it wasn't, like, overwhelming.
1: Ah, good.
2: Mm. Yeah, it was good. It was good. And I'm, I have no complaints. And I, I enjoyed and appreciated my own decision.
0: Sometimes I think a half-palm is all you need. And I appreciate a place that has a half-palm yeah. as an option.
2: But it's just, thing if you want, if, if you're super hungry and you want to stuff yourself with palmer and then you go on a, On a Palmer night, on Mm. like Tuesday or Wednesday, Mm. then I don't know. Maybe you're not getting the full Palmer experience. You might be getting the dodgy Palmer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what. And just in terms of size, just in not quality, maybe just quantity. Mm. Mm. Uh, It could be pre cooked too. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Uh, But yeah, that's and I, you know, so I'm. I just and then I, thing is. Because I'm by myself and I had work to do because I, so I just wanted to change the environment. Yes. So, so I did had, you do work in the pub? Yes. Oh, Daniel. And I, so I was writing and I had an iPad, but I would changed the iPad brightness down mm. because I'm like, they've gone to all this trouble to get the lighting right. And then people, other punters, don't want this disgusting LED screen. Oh, you're already weirding them out by being a guy eating a <laughs> partner by himself. <laughs> I suppose.
0: With a screen. Mm. No.
1: Oh, well, that's I'm inspired that you went out. What did you have to do? So I was just reading this text, Triple R where they tackle the big topics. Yeah. It's 6.22, mate. Let's, let's yeah. save saving the world for 7.25. Uh, look, there's a lot of people really pleased that we're back with this.
0: You know what's interesting? I nearly went to the Andrew suggested Palmer at the pub last night. Really? I said, no, I can't afford it right now. And then we just went and got...
1: Chicken, chicken, and
0: what? salad. <laughs> and I went and bought a chicken. Ugh. Oh, I know. Like yeah, bit of salad. But I did. But I actually didn't last night. I seen vegetables. Oh, that's yeah. new. Bit of corn. Yeah. Bit of asparagus. Bit of sweet potato. Then I added hummus
1: and nice. some chicken.
0: That was what we had last night, and it was so boring. You know what's worse? On Sunday, Andrew cooked this massive biryani, which is like his specialty now, mm-hmm. uh, and we've been eating that all week and it's been so delicious and awesome. I wish I could talk about it. Well, now I am. Yeah. Uh, and then last night we just had something so average for dinner. Yeah. It was like, oh. Oh, well. But it was nice. Bit of steamed vegetables. Um, we're at that weird point somewhere between winter and summer where I can't, like I'm moving away from winter food and I'm moving into summer food, but I don't know what that is. So steamed vegetables is where we landed. Right. It sounds so unappealing though, doesn't it? But I love steamed vegetables.
1: Yeah, but when you, you know, add some would you add some hummus to it? Just yeah. hummus, mm. yeah.
0: That's the, nice. The how did stuff. you serve it
1: on a plate or in a bowl? On
0: a plate, mm. always on a plate.
1: Because it, that that seemed, you put that could be good bowl food. Oh, if I ripped it up, if I ripped mm. the chicken up into shreds.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're right. That would have been like a bowl. like a pokey bowl. Yeah, po- is that, I don't know. That because... I don't know those <laughs> bowls <laughs> that you order from bowl shops. Bowl food.
1: Yeah. yeah. So there, you, there you go. We, the odds we can add a bit of sparkle <laughs> I know.
0: Next time I'm going to do that and see how Andrew responds. Are the
2: odds quite high that we all slummed it with chicken? Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's yeah. off in
2: the way, isn't it? I'm, I'm surprised we had two
0: palmers in the one night.
1: I didn't have a palmer. Well. Well.
0: You did. Triple R.
2: The Morrison Government is soon to unveil its controversial religious discrimination legislation with plans for the bill to pass by the end of this year. The Prime Minister says employers should not impinge on areas of private practice and private belief while opponents warn such a law may be a smokescreen to allow discrimination against LGBTI plus people. To discuss the issue, we're joined by Roz Ward, co-founder of Safe Schools Coalition and organiser of a rally this Saturday in Melbourne against the proposed bill. Roz, welcome to Breakfasters. Thank you for having me. Um, what What is this bill and how did it all begin?
7: Well, it interestingly began way back when uh, we smashed it out of the park with the Postal Survey for Marriage Equality. And in that very same month, it was announced by the Liberal government that they wanted to investigate this question of religious freedoms. And it felt very much at the time like, oh, this is interesting. Maybe it's a bit of a backlash from the the people who um, lost out so badly. And so this commission was launched with... um Good old Philip Ruddock, grizzly Philip Ruddock. Former Attorney General. (laughs) uh, Is he still alive, maybe? Um, And so as a result of all of that, they've kind of been putting together this piece of legislation. It's taken longer than we expected, but we are still very concerned about what it might include and what that might mean um, for the LGBTI community. Mm, And what, what do you suspect it is? We suspect that they want to enshrine in federal legislation some of the things that already exist in some of the state legislation around exemptions for religious organisations to be able to discriminate on the basis of gender or sexuality.
0: What's an example of some of those discriminations that already exist?
7: So in Victoria, if you are a a gay student in a religious school, in a Catholic school, for example, it is within their rights to say you're not welcome in the school, expel you basically, or if you're a, a transgender teacher in a religious school, same thing can apply on the basis of, on those kind of religious grounds. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other services. And in, uh, we were talking to somebody who works in a Catholic hospital saying that um, it limits their ability to um, provide reproductive services to women on the basis of the religious beliefs of the people who run the health organisations. There's aged care organisations that are run by religious organisations. So it's a pretty wide range of people. I mean, we don't hear about it that often, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. It doesn't mean it doesn't create this culture of kind of exclusion and people feeling uncomfortable. And certainly when we worked with um, Catholic schools as part of Safe Schools Coalition, um, people were very reticent to uh, come out and especially staff thinking about their kind of future at the school and all of that. And students know as well, like that they're not really safe. In these places, so it enshrines all of that. It means in places like Tasmania, where they got rid of it, it comes back again, and it could potentially mean um, additional rights for for um, organisations as well as individuals, which is one of the things that we're looking at.
2: Mm. Well, the, so proponents say we have a racial discrimination act, a sex discrimination act, age discrimination act, disability discrimination act. Why not add religious discrimination act to the collection? What's what's the what are the issues that? race there
7: well if it was if it was as simple as that if it was exactly the same then we you know we have no problem with that and obviously like you would think if the liberal government wanted to do something about islamophobia for example they could stop being so islamophobic you know like it's not <laughs> yeah. that hard and we don't think it's really genuinely um coming from that good place of wanting to protect people we think it is actually trying to go further and it could have an effect on other laws, which is sort of part of what we're worried about as well, that if the bill is passed and it does include certain things, um, technical whatever, but it could then mean that the Marriage Act is amended as a result of the protection for religious freedom. So the Marriage Act could then say, you know, people are allowed to define marriage as between a man and a woman Mm. and all of that kind of – all of the stuff that they didn't get into the – Marriage yeah. equality legislation they can put back in now. Right. And Scott Morrison has this whole thing of wanting to put in, you know, man and woman and children as the founding um, unit of society and all of this kind of
2: stuff. Yeah. Mm. And what about the public consultation process? Has there been one? Will there be one? Uh, what does it look like? Not really a public one. There's been, I think, 22 religious
7: organisations who've been consulted. At the beginning they said, Christian Porter said, oh, don't worry, we'll talk to the LGBTI community. They haven't at all. They haven't showed anyone anything. Equality Australia have been asking. So we haven't been involved. Um, and in, and as far as the public goes, no, nothing.
0: <laughs> so who is the government doing this for?
7: Well, I mean, we could speculate about that. The people who've been most uh, vocal about it in the media sort of saying it's not going far enough is the Catholic Church, which right. kind of is a funny thing at the moment for them to be wanting to jump up and down about their freedoms but um yeah, the Catholic Church, I mean Anglican schools put together this letter a while ago, saying, "No, we want to keep our right to expel gay students. there was you know some of the big posh rich uh, Anglican schools and so on, so it's not coming from Muslim community organizations yeah. let's put it like that right.
2: is is there this What sort of groundswell of support has there been uh, for this cause or for your cause uh, around Australia? Uh, See, there was a a protest in Sydney pretty recently.
7: Yeah, I think there was about 3,000 at that protest, maybe, yeah, um, about that. Yeah. And um, definitely public opinion is on our side. Like, all of the polling that comes out says, oh, wait a second, no, just because you're religious doesn't mean you're allowed to be a homophobe. Like, most people can see... That's a pretty straightforward thing. So it's not really because of the so-called silent majority or whatever that Morrison likes to talk about.
1: Do we know – how does it affect um, people like on on the other side of this religious freedom thing? And Like I'm talking about Israel Folau and him wanting to say what he said based on his religious and, you know, um, and then he loses his job. Does it affect, you know, people like him or is that just completely – separate thing
7: well i think they wanted to sort of use him as the hero of religious freedom but as far as i know from people who've given us legal kind of advice his issue was around an employment contract so Mm. it would have been a very messy one to work out through religious freedoms as a kind of protection for him so i think in some ways it's a bit of a furphy that they wanted him to be the kind of the poster boy of religious freedom but I think they kind of backed away them and they realized just how crazy his religious stuff is. I don't know if anyone's read about his family religion or whatever, but I don't think it quite fits with mainstream kind of Christian mm. and Catholic. Yeah.
0: When do we get to see what's in the bill, the details of it, and what's the process from there once we've been able to see it?
7: Well, we we're not entirely sure. I was just scrambling to um, look at an article in the Australian that it might be coming out in the, today or the next couple of days. As soon as it comes out, I mean, it then gets debated through Parliament. And what you have to look out for in that process is, even if the initial bill sort of seems pretty um, acceptable, that there can be amendments that are made to put in, you know, some of the stuff that will affect us. So I think really what we learnt from the marriage equality campaign is that these kind of mobilisations that we're trying to organise for Saturday make a difference, you know, and yeah. people can see it. and. To be honest, like, I I do it a lot for the kids in the Catholic schools who are thinking, what the hell, you know, Mm. why can't I just be myself? It doesn't make any sense. Is anyone on my side? And they get the 30-second clip on the 7 o'clock news and there's a bunch of rainbow flags and trans flags and they think, oh, people do care, you know.
2: Mm. Uh, Can you tell us about this this rally that is lining up? Yep. So um, Saturday,
7: State Library, 1 o'clock. And we've got a few speakers. We've got Janet Rice from the Greens. We've got Sally Goldner, who's sort of a trans uh, legend. A few students coming to speak about her experiences being in a religious school and a teacher. And so, it will be you know the usual kind of playbook: um, march around, make some noise, um, hopefully get some media, and um, take it from there and see what happens when the bill comes out. If we want to keep keep mobilising.
2: And are there going to be? Uh um, friends or allies from unlikely places with this bill? Are there kind of religious groups that aren't as wrapped about it as well? Yeah, actually, we've got
7: a speaker um, from the Uniting Church coming and saying he's basic, he's a minister in the Uniting Church and he's he's going to say, basically, we don't need it. You know, um, we're not asking for what they're going to put in. We don't want to be able to discriminate because the Uniting Church kind of aren't into that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's definitely religious groups as well who are... Not wanting these kind of so-called freedoms.
2: Yeah, and so stay tuned because the bill might be unveiled in a couple of hours. Yeah, keep your eyes open. Yeah, right. right. We've been speaking to Ros Ward, co-founder of Safe Schools Coalition and uh, LGBTI plus advocate. Um, and the rally is this Saturday, one pm, State Library. Yep. See you there. Thank you. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app.
8: Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot.
2: DeRay McKesson is a civil rights activist, community organiser and host of the award-winning podcast Pod Save the People, spurred by the death of Mike Brown and the subsequent protests in Ferguson, Missouri and beyond. DeRay has become a co-founder of Campaign Zero and leading voice in the Black Lives Matter movement. His book, On the Other Side of Freedom, Race and Justice in a Divide America, is out now and he'll be speaking about it at the Melbourne Writers' Festival. DeRay McKesson, welcome to Breakfasters.
4: It's so good to be here.
2: Thanks for coming in. It, it's uh, it's five years ago this month uh, that your life took a dramatic change of course. Can you explain what you're up to and how the the events of that period forged in a new direction?
4: Yeah. So five years ago in Ferguson, Missouri, the police killed Michael Brown Jr., who was a teenager, uh, and they left his body in the street for four and a half hours. That started the protest. We were in the street for four hundred days. It was a long four hundred days. If you saw us marching on the street, it wasn't that we thought marching was cool. It was literally illegal to stand still. So if we stood still for more than five seconds, we were arrested which is pretty wild. And, you know, what people don't understand about the police in America is that a third of all the people killed by strangers actually killed by a police officer. And this is actually the first year ever where black people are more afraid of being killed by an officer than being killed by community violence. And sort of the sobering thing is that the police have actually killed more people since the protests five years ago, not less. So I spend most of my time organizing around issues around mass incarceration, criminal justice, and the police. Uh,
2: traffic stops are pretty... Um terrifying prospect. As, as an Australian, we don't have this gun culture that America has. So can you talk to even your own experience that you write about in the book with the police and, and the nature of traffic stops as well?
4: Yeah, so traffic stops often are pretext for other things, right? So they're like, I thought I saw you speeding. And then they're like, need to search your car. I thought you had drugs. You know, like it becomes this thing. So one morning, I used to run an after-school center in Baltimore where I'm from, from middle grade. So like fifth through eighth grade. So like 10 to 14 year olds. Mm -hmm. And uh I had them from 3 to 8 p.m., which is like a long time to have kids after school during, this, during the week. And one day, one of my employees left something on the table that was confidential. So I needed to get to school before the principal got there because he hated me. So I'm in my car. I'm like trying to get to school. It's like six o'clock in the morning. It's so cold. I'm in like a hoodie, some hoop shorts, whatever. And I'm going down. I'm like going a little fast, but I'm not super speeding. But I see a cop way behind me. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to pull myself over because like I just, the principal hates me. So I just need to get to school quickly so I pull myself over I'm like just give me a ticket like if I get a ticket fine I'm not gonna fight it today the officer comes up to my window with his gun drawn and he's just like cursing he's like put your hands up I mean it's just like wild and I'm like uh like all I can say to him is like it'll be okay because I'm actually at this moment more afraid of the principal who hates me so I'm like it'll be okay it'll be okay and, and he's like he just de-escalates and then later I don't get a ticket or a warning we drive off and he pulls up next to me and I'm like, hey. And he's like, it's your birthday soon. I just saw it. And it's like, we're not friends, buddy. But there's so many instances that people have in the states where the police use their power in ways that just aren't in line with what it means to be a public servant. Some of them end in death and some of them end in circumstances like I was in.
1: Different. Oh, sorry. No, okay. Different states have different um ideas of, you know, what it is to de-escalate a situation. Can you talk to us a little bit about about that?
4: Yeah, so in some states, uh, officers have to use deadly force as a last resort, right? Mm. So they have to, like, give a verbal warning or use a taser or something before they can shoot to kill. In other states, like Oregon, for instance, there is no rule. So they can use deadly force if you engage in fleeing in the first degree, which is like, running away. Uh, if the officer thinks you just committed a felony, and in Oregon, like, felony theft is, like, theft over $1,000, I think, you know, which is, like, a, an iPhone. Mm. Or if they think you're about to commit a felony, which is really subjective. So we spend a lot of time trying to figure out, like, what are those rules and laws? And they the answer is that, like, it's common sense, right? So, like, we think police officers shouldn't be able to shoot into moving vehicles. You can probably think about why shooting into moving vehicles is a bad thing, you know, because like the car still moves once a person gets killed. So there are all these instances of people's houses getting ran into, pedestrians getting killed. And what is interesting is that we started this project five year, four years ago at this point. Uh, and we can actually map and see that places that restrict people shooting in moving vehicles kill less people. You know, like these things actually have a demonstrable impact.
0: You've been basically a full-time activist for the last couple of years um, and have been sued a number of times by police uh, up until now unsuccessfully Uh, and you're now in a situation where you've been sued by a police officer um, for damage that occurred to them, uh, for an injury that occurred to them during a protest which you attended and organised but not it's not an actual act that you committed. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Because that's kind of news in Australia. And and I guess the implications for what that means for activism.
4: So I got sued by five police officers in two states. All of them got dismissed, all five. Uh, this one by Officer John Doe because he apparently is so afraid of, for his safety that his identity is secret. So he, they appealed it to one of the appeals court. This is one of the most conservative appeals court in the country. There are more Trump appointees on this court than most of the other appeals courts, uh, and they overturned the dismissal and said that I can be held civilly negligent for this officer getting hit by rock. Now I didn't actually organize. I was literally just there. Like uh-huh, I was so like there. I mean, okay. I have a big Twitter platform, so people told me to tell people to go here. You know, you would call and be mm-hmm. like, "Hey, Dre." DeRay- tell people to go whatever and I would be like meet at the gas station but I didn't organize anything I literally was just there and I wasn't even there long I wasn't even not in jail long because I was outside for a little bit and then the police were like uh, you need to get out of the street I was like cool I had just taken a new job I, I told my boss I wasn't gonna get, like be in the news anymore yeah. while I was at work so I get out of the street I live stream and next thing I know I, you know I fall and I try to get up and I'm like wow I must be stuck in like a stampede and I'm like I can't get out And I realized that there are two officers whose arms are like pushing me down and they're like, you're arrested. And then I get on the bus and my zip ties, right? This is random, but my zip ties are actually really loose. So I get on the bus and immediately take them off. And I'm like, does anybody have a cell phone? So I get this kid's phone and I'm able to text people. But I was, I spent 19 hours in jail. I was in jail more than I was actually in the street. So this case is really a problem for... Not only me, but all activists, because say, for example, you do plan a rally and say an officer or say the other side wants to get you in trouble, they could just harm people and then you'd be responsible for that. So this would have a chilling effect on people leading any sort of actions. And we think that this goes against previous Supreme Court precedent. So we're still fighting it.
0: Oh, it's so fun. I I, I was reading too in an interview you gave recently that since the protest began, there's been more police shootings than ever so what is happening why why is this still happening like is the activism working do you feel like what you're pushing for is being heard and do you feel like there is real change it's just the numbers are against you at the moment
4: so that's a good question it's what we actually spent a lot of time trying to figure out right because it's like we almost died in the middle of the street and then we look back at the numbers and you're like who would have thought it got worse right I think that what, what what I know now that I didn't know in 2014 is I think in 2014 we would have said we need better people right better police chiefs better mayors better senators better whatever well we now realize that we need a system that works whether the people are good or not right So across the board, it's like you look at places like California, the biggest state, they kill more people than any state. In California, there's a rule, a law that says that any investigation of an officer that lasts more than a year can never result in discipline regardless of the outcome. That just doesn't make sense, right? So like it doesn't matter how many protests we do, how many actions, if the the structure is corrupt, then the outcomes won't change, right? Mm -hmm. So we spend a lot more time on like the structure. So in Cleveland where LeBron played, which is why people – Or we might know Cleveland. (laughs) Uh, In Cleveland, one of the rules is that they destroy police officer disciplinary records every two years. It just doesn't make sense, right? Like, you can love the police and be like, I think that's sort of weird, right? Yeah. I think that the other thing that we know is that we never confuse a change in conversation with a change in outcomes. That we are talking about justice in ways we've never talked about it before. The outcomes haven't really changed. And I think that people got confused because, like, the publicity is way better than it's ever been. But, like, the reality is much worse.
2: You're you're a— uh, from Baltimore, which has become a a new flashpoint in this debate,
4: because Trump is wild. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes.
2: Can you can you speak about that kind of new found, uh, well, that sudden flash of attention?
4: Yeah, I don't know if it's changed the city as much. You know, Baltimore is is an old city. One of the, you know, it's one of Maryland's one of the original colonies. So Baltimore is just like an old, old city in the sense that some of the problems that plagued the rest of the country originated in Baltimore. So we think about redlining and redlining in America was this practice where the federal government literally would draw lines around neighborhoods and not give those people housing loans. And it, they were obviously people of color and, and those neighborhoods are still segregated to this day, even though that stopped a while ago. So we think about the city and like... Trump has picked on a couple cities. He's picked on Baltimore. He's picked on Chicago. He has sort of feeds this narrative that it's so dangerous and damaging. And the reality is, is that poverty is not a choice, as you know, right? Mm-hmm. People don't like choose poverty. Poverty chooses them. And what we want to remind people when, when Trump is sort of talking about Baltimore is like people didn't choose the conditions, right? That like, if we want to decrease crime, then like the police actually aren't the answer. The best the police can do is get there after the bad things already happen. That's like what policing is. Bad thing happens, you call the police. If you want the bad things not to happen, we think that that's actually the end of poverty and the end of addiction. And in America, Trump just gave $700 billion to the military in one year. It would take $100 billion to take every single person out of poverty. It's always a choice you you ran for office and also
2: you met bernie and hillary before the uh during their primary campaign what are you, what are you thinking ahead in 2020
4: i met these candidates too so i met with kamala castro i've had two one-on-ones with warren before this race we talked to our team first uh talked to p it's like 20 of them. I'm like, who else is there? I'm like, who else is left? Jillibrand uh, just just dropped out. We like Jillibrand. Uh, know Corey really well. Uh, you know, I, at first, I think that like we need to, it needs to be less than 20 people. So I think we're at like 17 now. So mm-hmm. that is good. And I think that less than that, like I don't know if Mary Williamson is going to qualify for the next debate. So Tulsi, I don't think qualifies. So we're hoping to clear it. In terms of what I think, I think that uh, Warren is like a clear leader. I would love for Warren to be president. I think Warren's amazing. I think that Kamala is really interesting. We had a great one-on-one with her. Like, she is much better in person than I think people give her credit for. Mm -hmm. The reporters feel like she's really defensive and really, and like, she was, she pushed, but it wasn't in a, like, I'm trying to hide something sort of way. I think that what's missing from Kamala is that she is legitimately an expert on criminal justice and doesn't have a plan around criminal justice. And that is just sort of a we. It's just, it would be like Warren having a plan about the economy it's like the economy is the one thing we know she knows really well so Mm. that's sort of weird pete i like pete pete's plan is very he's a centrist right so like his plan is mostly things that we've already agreed on it's not like he's not sort of pushing the envelope i think that people have real questions about uh, pete's ability to do on the national stage what he seems to have been unable to do in his own town as mayor That's real. I like Castro. Castro is the best planner on policing. Uh, Corey, I like Corey. You know, some days I'm not sure what's going on with Corey's campaign, but I but I love Corey uh, and hope that he stays in for a little longer. So do you, do
2: you look at the field and go, oh, I could do that.
4: I'm too young to run for president, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I want to I want to work on. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's campaign before I run for anything else. Right. So. Okay. Do you think, is it, is it is a change in administration something that you think will
0: have a big effect on your cause? Because I've heard you speak before about the fact that a lot of the problem with, say, policing in the US is that it's all handled it's state local. by state and yeah, localised, yeah. and sometimes, you know, the federal administration doesn't have that big effect.
4: Yeah, so the federal government can, the federal government is like the model maker, right? So, so. What is interesting about the Republicans, especially the Trump Republicans, is that they just play the long game so much better. So when Sessions was attorney general, for instance, he said that they were going to start asking for the death penalty for drug dealers. And they started. People were like, we were outraged about it. People like you guys are being dramatic. Who gets the death penalty for drugs? Right. Because the federal government hadn't hasn't killed anybody in a long time. And then Barr comes, and then they lift the moratorium on the death penalty, right? So calling for the death penalty for drug dealers was a non-story two years ago. It just like wasn't a big deal two years ago to a lot of people. Huge deal now because the federal government is killing people again, right? Sort mm-hmm. of wild. With police, there are 18,000 police departments. The biggest police departments, though, at the national level are ones that you've heard of. It's ICE, it's Border Patrol, and it's the FBI, right? So we could get a president who, like, has ICE stopped deporting people and, like— instructs ICE not to put kids in cages. You know, that would actually be a yeah. huge deal for people. Do you know how many people ICE detains a day? No. 55,000 people. It's wild. Jesus. It is more people detained by ICE than the history of ICE ever in, or any any apparatus that served ICE's function. Like, we've never seen that before. How is it
0: that even the capacity to hold that many people? It's a good question. So there isn't
4: the capacity. So the federal government actually doesn't have enough space to hold that many people, which is why the cages emerged, right? Mm -hmm. So like when you saw them in cages, it was like literally they were like, we got to put them somewhere. And what they do is the federal government actually rents out local prisons and jails. So say you have like a prison in Melbourne and like a wing is not being used because there's not enough people. They will enter into a contract with the city and rent out the wing. So what people are doing now is actually lobbying their cities to like end the contracts with ICE so that like the Melbourne jail is no longer longer facilitator of ice, you know, yeah. but they they don't have enough space to actually hold this many people.
2: Can you speak to the idea, you, you speak about truth in the book. Is there ever any tension between, um, activism and the, the, the need to kind of simplify a message ever and, and, and truth and the, the, uh, the desire to frame a realistic,
4: you know, reality. I think we're always trying to simplify it. And if I, I hate to give the right any credit, but what the right does really well is that the right is always, uh, elites to everyday people. It is like Trump is always talking to like the random uh, like TV dinner person in the middle of the night, right? The left is sort of always elites to elites. And I think that doesn't work. When we talk about the police, there are a million things I can say that are that I think are things that people can repeat. You know, we ask people, close your eyes and think about where you feel the most safe where you feel the most safe is probably not in a room full of police, right? It's probably in a room for, where there's like family and love and shelter and food, and we actually can create that for everybody. Again, like I already said, is that you know you think about if there were fires all across your neighborhood, the response wouldn't be build a million more firehouses. The response would be like, a What is causing fires, and let's put them out. The same thing when there's crime, the response isn't like add a million more cops. The response is like, what is causing the crime, and let's deal with it. You know, like so. I think that some of it is like framing for people, and even when we talk about abolition, the end. Of prisons and jails it's like I used to teach sixth grade and I love sixth, sixth grade is like 11 year olds 11 mm-hmm. year olds are great I taught math and you know there were some days where some kids just had to go it was like you were having a tantrum like you just gotta get out of my room you gotta a guidance counselor the office just stand outside for 10 seconds Having them take a timeout is not the same thing as locking them in the closet, right? And locking kids in closets doesn't actually make them make a new decision, you know? And that's like sort of jail, is that like we can agree that some people might need to be separated from society to get the services that they need. That's not the same thing as like throwing them away in cages. Hmm.
2: Well. Sorry, Geraldine.
1: Oh, oh no, yeah, we've got to go. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Just run out of time uh, to ask you more questions. Yeah. Sorry.
4: It's great to be here, though.
2: You are a lost <laughs> to the teaching profession. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, that <laughs> is a shame.
1: Doreen
2: really? uh, McKerson is the author of On the Other Side of Freedom uh, via Bloomsbury. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh appearing at the Melbourne Writers Festival. Go to mwf.com. <laughs> mwf.com.au for details. Uh, Dre, thanks so much for coming in. Triple R. Today's Breakfast's live
0: guest probably needs little introduction for Triple R listeners, so I won't even bother. Paul no, Kelly. Give it to him no, anyway. well, Paul well, Kelly, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm saying his name. I'm not just going to say, yeah. I'm just not going <laughs> to give your biography to everyone. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, thank Good you. morning. Good morning. I was very surprised to see, we knew you were coming in today, and you just rocked up at Triple R with a guitar over your shoulder and your cap on very casually, no entourage. Did you just get the tram all the way from St Kilda to? No, RRR. no, I've
6: got uh, a driver organised by the record company. So oh, so it so is right. a bit, fa- it's a bit yeah. fancier yeah. than yeah, it appears. it has gone for a coffee.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, you're in here because you're releasing a new record, 13 Ways to Look at Birds, uh, which is a record where you've put music to the words of poets who have written about birds. birds. Yes, yeah. uh, which is a pretty beautiful concept. I'll get you to explain it a bit further. But first of all, I want to know what it is... What is it about birds? I was so surprised when I started reading about this record that there was so many, so much poetry written about birds. What do you think it is about birds that inspires the words of poets?
6: Uh, I guess um, you know birds. Um, they've had a lot of um, associations with mythology, with, with freedom, um, with and with poetry. There's a lot of poems about. Um, all kinds of animals, really. You know, there's a lot of nature poets. When we first started this project, it was really Anna Goldsworthy's idea, and she said, "Why don't we put some poems about animals to music?" Uh, and work with James Ledger, who we both worked with before, the uh, classical composer. Um, we quickly realised animals was way too bigger, bigger frame. So <laughs> we, we thought we'll, we'll narrow it down to birds, and even even that's just just huge. I mean, I keep discovering. More and more poems about birds that you know could chill a, a whole um, set of CDs if you wanted to.
1: Maybe if you wanted an EP, you could go to reptiles.
6: Reptiles,
1: it's <laughs> <laughs> no, poetic, is it the old lizard? And you, you you've leaned Probably on Triple
2: R's uh, Sean the Birdman Dolly a, a little bit as well.
6: Oh yeah, we have known each other for, for quite a while. So when I first first um, started thinking about this this well, it started off as a live show, and it's been was brewing. The work on it has been brewing for a couple of years. We did we did workshops together, um, and uh, I contacted Sean and said, "Any any poems about birds?" You know, just my um, one. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Do I?"
2: <laughs>
0: um, if they call you. Call this record a song cycle, and you've written song cycles before. What does that mean?
6: Uh, so I get, it's a pretty loose term, meaning just song um, a set of songs or poems around around a theme. So that's what it's. I don't know how how circular it is, yeah. but it's a kind of a uh, yeah. It's a it's it's all about every poem has to do with with birds. Some of them um, are real birds, and some of them are metaphorical birds. We we've done a poem by Emily Dickinson called "Hope is the thing with feathers," so that's really a bird is more of a symbol than that poem and a metaphor. Then there's other poems like "The Darkling Thrush," which is written by Thomas Hardy, which is describes an actual bird singing in the dead of winter, but at the same time it also symbolises hope. So um, those themes crisscross all the time, o- observation of the natural world along with um, o- other meanings uh, inside that. Your words are such
0: a big part of your music and you know anyone listening will be able to... They're probably playing some of your songs in their heads right now. How is it... What's it like to give your words away? I mean, you're giving them away to pretty good people, but how does that change the experience of, of creating music for you when you give your words away to someone else?
6: Um, well, I, I really like it. I think writing words is the, that's sort of the hardest part or the slowest part of writing songs. I find melodies much easier. So when, when you get a set of words to start with that are really great... <laughs> Um, you, you, your job's over half done. So it's something I've st- stumbled on over the last six or seven years, putting other people's words to music. Mm. Um, and the first time was with, again, with a collaboration with James Ledger, who, who's worked on this, uh, a show called Conversations with Ghosts, which was a collaboration with the um, student orchestra ANAM at Australian National Academy of Music. And we did um, a set of poems to music, it was about six or seven years ago, and that was the first time I'd ever put other people's words to music, or or even started with the words first. Because with my songs, I don't usually start with the words first. It sort of starts as kind of a a tune, and then a bit of gibberish and moaning and <laughs> sounds that sort of gradually become words. But
0: you should put out an
2: outtakes record. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs>
6: There's you... a lot, a lot of cassettes. <laughs> There's a room full of old cassettes. Of, yeah, you no. wear
2: your uh, literary influences on your sleeve. Do you have any book recommendations outside of birds that can give us an insight to where Paul Kelly's head is at right now?
6: Book recommendations. <laughs>
2: Look at him scratching his head. What have you done to him? I don't know.
6: I have to interview Don Walker on Sunday at, uh, right. at the Melbourne Writers' Festival, so I've had my head back into his Oh, one okay. shot, so I recommend that. Cool. And his book of lyrics is it's great. All right. Yeah.
0: You've, um, you've also got a, a best of coming out, and you've kind of done a – a best of of sorts before, haven't you? Or like a retrospective of your of your music? Yeah, yeah. And this this is also going to come out at the same time that you're doing the Gravy shows over Christmas again, mm-hmm. uh, which is quite good. How do you feel when you put a best of out? Do you feel I don't know? You've got these songs that are su- such a classic part of your canon. Do you feel attached to them in any way anymore, or is, are you so distant from that work that you don't feel
6: emotionally attached to it? Uh, well I'm not distant from those songs because I, I, I play a lot of them quite often yeah. So this, um, this is just an updated version of Songs from the South which has been around for about 20 years yeah. It got updated in 2007 I think And then um, it's just been updated again to include songs from the last 10 years
1: What do you think is your best song?
6: Uh, I'll just, just give you the, the Duke Ellington answer on that one. My favourite song was the one I'm working on.
0: Ooh, <laughs> Very goodbye. clever. Well, what is, uh, maybe it's the one you're about to play.
6: Actually, I really like, <laughs> I, I do like this one a lot. Um, it's the, when we started this, uh, this project, 13 Ways to Look at Birds, um, it was collecting palms and I was pretty keen to have a magpie palm in it because, mm. you know, magpies are so, so um, ubiquitous in Australia. And um, there's a few magpie poems around. Les Murray's written a good one, but I couldn't really figure out a way to put music to that. And then sort of at the last minute, we got sent a poem written by a New Zealander, Dennis Glover, called The Magpies. But it's interesting that um, the magpies are everywhere in New Zealand too. We think of it as a particularly Australian bird. But they were actually a pest in New Zealand. They were introduced, and they're considered a pest.
1: And
0: some footy fans would consider them a pest. <laughs> no. <that's... laughs> um, Paul, thank you so much for coming in 13 ways to look at Birds is out today. Uh and people can catch you. you going to be playing doing those shows again at all? Do you think in the future maybe? Uh
6: yeah, we've we played Melbourne early in the year and um it's a kind of show that we could, you know, can come back again. We can pick up pick it up any time. We've got um the Perth Festival next January and possibly Mona. So, um It'll be hopefully we'll be able to play this show over the next few years anytime anybody wants it. That would Go be on. lovely. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and the how to make gravy shows at the end of the year as well. Uh, it's been such a pleasure having you in. Thank you, as always.
6: My pleasure too. Well, Thank thanks, you. Paul.
0: Independently yours, Triple R 102.7.